Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I am so excited to have you guys here today. I am chatting with Kimberly Panaya of Wild June, who has the most amazing story of perseverance, hard work, ups and downs, learning so many lessons the very, very hard way about starting her own brand of leather belts and accessories. She makes really, really beautiful stuff. I'm super excited for you guys to check it out. And she has had a really long journey from selling and vending at festivals, which has ultimately led to her running the business full-time in the last few years. But throughout all of this time, she experimented with wholesale and trade shows and showrooms and manufacturing in India and China and Indonesia and learning the hard way what works and what doesn't work and price points and marketing and production and so many amazing lessons. Kimberly does not hold back on sharing any of the details, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there is so much value in here for you guys to learn. If you are thinking about any type of production or you are already running your own brand, I know there's so much insight in here. She also dives really deep into the actual sales process and some of the strategies that she's learned to do a better job selling to her customer Um, and she shares some of those step by step and they are amazing tips that you can apply to your brand if you are doing any sort of in-person sales at festivals or events or things like that so I'm very excited for you guys to hear this amazing interview with Kimberly of Wild June As always, thank you so much for listening. And really quickly, before we get to the interview, I wanted to tell you about something that I keep hearing from some of you out there. Many of you have told me that you love the podcast, and then you all of a sudden discovered that I have all this other content and free resources. For the longest time, you maybe just discovered the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen, and you thought that Successful Fashion Designer was just a podcast. But here's the thing. It is way more than a podcast, and I've been hearing this comment so much that I wanted to tell you guys about this and also apologize for not mentioning it sooner. I have hundreds of free tutorials, templates, and books on things like Adobe Illustrator, how to create tech packs, getting your first or next freelancing client, landing your dream fashion job, and so much more. And I get really amazing feedback from my free content. Um, Not to brag here, but people have told me that they've learned more from my free content than they have in four years of fashion school. So I would love to give you some of these resources. And here's what I've done. I've put together my best free content just for you as a podcast listener to help you get ahead in your fashion career. And I would love to email it to you right now. So here's what you should do. Take 20 seconds. Hit pause right now in this episode and go to soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email to get instant access to all my best free stuff well above and beyond the podcast uh, because Successful Fashion Designer is so much more than what you hear here on Mondays. Uh, as always, you can access the show notes and scroll down by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And thank you so much for being here. Let's jump right into the interview with Kimberly. 
Welcome, Kim, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, I know a, a good little bit about the background of your story from some stuff I've read on your website, um, and I'm super excited to share all of this with everybody out there listening, but can you please start by introducing yourself and letting us know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Okay, cool. Um, my name is Kimberly Tanaya, so, and I have a business called Wild June. Uh, Wild June specializes in belt bags, utility belts, and holsters made from the finest leathers, recycled rubber, and then uh, limited edition fabrics. That's kind of like my my one line that I, I go with. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so that's what I do. I've been doing it for about eight years now. My customer base is um, primarily festival goers, but it does reach farther than that. I mean, my youngest customer is eight years old and, you know, she bought like a $200 piece with her own money. And yeah, very cute. You know, and I've like seen her grow up now. She's like 14 now. Um, And then my oldest customer is in her 80s, you know, so it, it completely... Yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting, you know, to see all the people. Um, yeah, so my customer range is very large, but for the most part, it does kind of cater to festival goers. Um, so I've been a vendor heavily within the festival scene for the last, I'd say, seven years, um, which is, uh, yeah, we're coming up on festival season right now, so getting ready. But, That's um, awesome. Yeah. From 8 to 80. I love that. I love that. But then yeah. it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about, like, having a niche on, on this show. And um, it's interesting because as much as you do have this specific niche within the festival audience, you have a wide age range. And so, you know, sometimes your niche can be narrow in some ways and wide in, in others. So I love that that's sort of what you've discovered with your brand. Um, can you rewind quite a bit and take us back to the very beginning of, like, when – Wild June all started and like where this came from and what did it look like, you know, seven, eight, maybe 10, how long, how many years ago? Um, eight years, uh, 2011 is when okay. I started it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had been traveling a bunch in India for, uh, goodness, um, ever since I graduated from college, actually, I traveled in India for about a year and a half. I've spent like three years over there in total. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to find a reason to go back to India actually and not be a traveling bum (laughs) and like actually have a purpose while I'm over there. Um, so I made this long list of all these different things that I could import. I mean, I think incense was even on my list. Um, and yeah, and the belt bags, they had the best profit margin. Um, I went around and like checked out what the profit margins were for everything. Belt bags was the best. And I had a um, advisor at the time, business advisor, through the Small Business Development Center. And he suggested to me, why don't you create your own line? And I thought, like, yeah, I could do that. You know, that's, that'll be easy. Um, and no clue how hard that was going to be. I had no experience in fashion at all. Yeah. What um, was your background but, in? You said you traveled a lot in college or after college. What did you actually go to school for? And what was your training in? I studied business. I oh, went okay. to USC. Yeah, I went to USC. I did business school there. I was definitely like um, the, the oddball out, I think, in my business school. Like everyone was trying to figure out how they're going to make a million by 30. And I was like in class drawing the backs of people's heads. I, was, <laughs> <laughs> like, I wasn't really like fitting in there all the way. Yeah. But I think in college, I just kind of thought like, okay, I have to do something that's going to make money. Okay. You know, so I... Yeah, I did that and then, you know, exited college and realized, like, oh, I picked the wrong major completely. So 
how do I not let this major define me? Um, and I mean, I'm doing business now, but within my own way. Yeah. So, so that's cool. Okay, so your advisor says, why don't you make your own line? And you're like, yeah, sure, that sounds, I got this. Yeah, I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. You know, I was very motivated. Um, I knew that I didn't know what I was doing now. So I put an ad on Craigslist um, looking for a technical designer. And I found um, my friend Liz. Uh, she's now like one of my closest friends, but Liz taught me everything. She really taught me everything I know about fashion um, and really like held my hand throughout the whole process. I, I mean, because I had a general idea, but I really had no clue. So, um, yeah, originally, like, she worked out some designs, and I was like, oh, no, I want it to be like this and like this and like this. And she was like, okay, Kim, why don't you just take these designs and, like, do what you want to do with them and then give them back to me, and I'll, I'll draw that out. I'm like, okay, I can do that, you know. <laughs> um, it, was, it was fun, though. It was, like, an interesting process. Uh, Liz also connected me with the first factory that I worked with. She had been in the industry for I think probably about 12 years at that point. Um, and she had been to fashion school and everything like that. She's a handbag designer. Um, so yeah, she connected me with factory and what I found out we did like was actually a sample run. We did about a hundred pieces. I think we had six different styles in three different colorways each. And we had about five of each. So it was, um, yeah. And we did it in PU leather at that time which I haven't done since, but, okay. uh, and that factory was with China. So, um, yeah, we did this like sample run and, um, oh man, it was such a crazy day. Like when I first got those samples in, I remember like I quit my job before any of these even came in. I like, quit my job and I got rid of my apartment. I was like, I'm going to go to India after this and find factories. And, um, yeah. So then I get the shipment in, I like, left my apartment that day I get my first shipment and then I drove out to Burning Man um my dad's best friend he had had the coffee contract at Burning Man for 10 years and so I told him about what I was doing how I was starting this belt bag line and he was like why don't you sell them outside of Burning Man and I was like that'd be awesome you know so I like drive out to Burning Man with this like package that I haven't even opened yet of belts and stuff. Wait, how had you not opened it? I'm dying. It's like opening I mean, a present I opened on Christmas it Day. I, I know it is. There. It's always like Christmas when they come in. Right, I opened it? it and I saw what they what they looked like, but it's like it was ten hours to drive out to Burning Man. I was just trying to get there as quick as possible. Oh so God. like I hadn't gone through the whole package yet. Okay. You know, it just seemed like what was on top basically. Oh my God. But yeah, it was good. <laughs> kind of crazy i remember getting out there and like yeah the guy that runs the bazaar he was just like well let's see what you got i don't know if we're gonna take you yet it was just like oh my goodness oh god (laughs) you better take me yeah but yeah it worked out and um man that was my first time vending ever out there and that was my first burning man too and i think i sold like 85 percent of the stuff like i went home with i think seven of the pieces left out of a hundred. Um, and I was selling them for like 45 to $65. Then it was PU letters. My first run okay. was kind of just figuring it out. But how much, had, um, how much do you remember how much they had cost you to get produced? Like what were you in them? I, I don't remember probably, I mean, with what I had paid Liz and then what I had paid for the inventory, I'm not, I, I'm not really sure. I think okay. it was probably more of a break-even yeah. experience. I mean, outside of but Liz, I, I was, yeah, more curious about, like, what the actual product cost, but that's fine. 
Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure it was years ago, but, um, I know I definitely did make some profit. Like I would say at least like a 50% markup is what I did. Something like that. I definitely made a profit enough to, you know, finance the next run. Um, but yeah, I thought it was all going to be like that. You know, like I sold like 85% like on my first time. I was just like, hell yeah, I quit my job. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already successful. You know, like it was, yeah. And then I got to my next event after that. I did Melrose trading post, I think sometime after, I think probably in like March. Actually, so immediately after Burning Man, I went to India and I looked for a factory and I stayed there for six months, and I saw um, 10 different factories. I did samples with four of them, and I ended up choosing one that was uh, one of my college roommates, his dad's friend. Um, so it's always good in India to have, like, you know, a couple of degrees of separation. Like, yeah. there is some sort of common linkage there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did, the, I did, like, a little run with him, and, you know, I mean, it, looking back in hindsight, like, I must have been – such a pain to deal with because I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> like, where did you find, you know, like that one obviously you said came through your college roommate's friend or something, but where did you find all yeah. those other factories? You just kind of like, I mean, you don't get, it's Google. You, oh, you did? Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, you can't just like show up in India and be like, oh, I'm here. Everyone's waiting That's for exactly me. what I did you actually. You did though. <laughs> oh my God. And then you just Googled. Yeah, I Googled and I was like, I knew that, um, oh, I'm forgetting names right now. Lajpat Nagar, that's like a spot in Delhi where, um, you know, it's like all the leather manufacturers are over there. So I I hung out around there a little bit and just go to people. Everyone in India, they like helping each other, you know, like if you say, I'm looking for this, you know, everyone's got like a cousin or a brother or a friend that like (laughs) has something that can help you, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love India. That was like one of the reasons why I wanted to start the business was just to get back over there. And so, you know, I kind of wanted to elongate my sourcing process so I could spend as much (laughs) time over there as possible. But, um, (laughs) yeah, a little bit, you know, part of my reason for doing it all. But yeah, and I mean, it's, it's fun. Like in Delhi, I have lots of friends there too. So it's always good to spend time there. But, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Like uh, during the samples with initial factories, a lot of them had minimums, um, which when you're first starting out is very scary. And you know, in hindsight, I'm glad that um, the factory that I ended up choosing they did have minimums. But our uh, doing the production, it was just so difficult. Like there was problems. I wasn't happy with the quality. I think um, they realized I wasn't going to be happy with it, so they ended up only shipping one third of what they were supposed to do. Um, and I had paid one third um, as a deposit. So they basically just shipped me what Uh-oh. I had paid for. I think they kind of wanted to be done with me and I, I kind of wanted to be done. done with them. <laughs> Mutually, let's end this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, in hindsight, I think it was um, a mutual, like, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't getting what I was wanting yeah. from that experience. And they probably weren't either. They were dealing with like a first time designer. So it makes sense. But um, yeah, one of the more difficult things too, being a woman in, I think I was 26 at the time and like being a girl, like dealing with these, you know, men that are in their fifties and sixties and trying to say like, these are the prices I want, you know, 
And I mean, they know I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and I think it's very key in that situation to just fake it till you make it, you know, like pretend like, you know, I mean, I remember every night I was like on the phone with Liz. I'm like, what do I do? They're telling me this much and they're telling me this many minimums. And she's like, okay, fight back on this. You need to have a production sample. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> go back arms with my confidence and knowledge. But, you yeah, know, interesting experience. Yeah. And nice that you had Liz sort of as like a resource to bounce a lot of this off of. Otherwise, I would imagine the mistakes would have been even bigger and more frequent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, there's certain mistakes that, you know, you I mean, you always make mistakes and I think you learn from them. And I mean, that's the beauty of mistakes. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Liz, she's been a total power. Even till today, you know, it's like I still work with her as a technical designer and I mean, I'm, I'm a better designer now, like I can actually design the pieces, but the advantage that I have of going to her still is that she's been doing it for 20 years now, you know, so she can tell me, like, this piece isn't going to work out, this is going to be too many layers of leather to sew through, or like, construction wise, you know, this is, she can kind of tell me, like, you know, like, from a technical side, like, this is, not going to happen or this is great, you know, right. or this is going to be super expensive and, you know, that detailing right there. So, right. yeah, it's definitely good to have someone like that on your side. Yeah, but, that's amazing. So she helped you yeah. through a lot of the India stuff and then, and then you just, you paid a third and you got a third. And then do you remember roughly how many pieces, like what were the minimums you were working with there? Oh, that was, um, I think it was like a thousand pieces oh. that they wanted to do, so you but like it was like a thousand yeah, it was like a thousand pieces over like I think six, seven styles. Um, but still, I ended up with like I remember. So okay, so that factory, I stayed in India for six months, and um, at the end of the six months, they told me like, okay, we're gonna ship them within like two weeks. And so you know, I get back. I really wanted to go back to America with some samples so I could do photo shoots and all that. But I get back to America, and I ended up like sitting at my mom's house for four months waiting for these pieces to finally get here it was horrible you know like I was so determined to succeed in this business but I didn't actually have any inventory for like what were they saying oh goodness like I mean I pleaded and pleaded with them like you know I would and that was another thing I learned dealing with factories at that time like I didn't want to be rude you know so Mm -hmm. I would call them Every two weeks, I'm like, oh, I don't want to, like, hassle them yes, too much. Sir. But, like, yeah. really, you you need, you need to. If, like, I mean, if you're not getting that response, you need to, like, be on them every day. Um, and that was, you know, something I learned the hard way. But, yeah, I would send them, like, nice emails, bad emails, you know. I'd call them and, like, um, and I just kept getting, like, okay, next week, next, next week, week, next week. Oh, it's kind of an India it's kind of an India thing. Like as much as I love India, it's it's one of it is very difficult doing business there. I've sometimes. had similar um, experiences, yeah. It can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be you know, it can be a little rough. Um I do still have one factory that I work with in India and you know, they're they're awesome. It's but it's a friend of mine. It's his factory. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why it does go a little bit smoother. Yeah. So yeah. Um Sorry, I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> no, so you so you waited four months. You were at your mom's house. You waited four months, and then you got your shipment. Yeah. And yeah, one third. And then how did that go? I got 
Oh, goodness. I got that shipment, and it was, um, I mean, we were just saying how it's like Christmas morning when you get these shipments, and you're (laughs) you're so excited, but then some other times, it is just painful, and you want to cry, because, like, and that was a shipment where, like, I I think I probably did cry, actually, (laughs) waiting for so long, and then you open this box, and, like, there's, like, buckles falling off, there's, like, stitching coming, like, the whole pouch is, like, coming off the belt when I'm opening the package. Oh like, my Oh, God. my goodness. This is horrible. You know, it was probably, like, I want to say about 50% that was damaged and had issues with it. So there was so much. I mean, I just had to discount everything because it was like, I don't know what's damaged, what's not damaged. I don't even know how much money I spent on repairs for all those pieces. Oh, my God. It, it was horrible. It was really bad. Um, and then I went to Magic. in. So I got that shipment in July after okay. waiting for it since April. Yeah, wait, My really goodness. quick, before you get to Magic, did you, like, try Dylan. to fight back? Or were you just like, I'm done, I can't even deal with it, I'm just going to take my losses and walk away? I think I, I did try and fight back because we – because um, – they were supposed to still give me two thirds more. And I was just like, this is atrocious, you know? And like the other two thirds can't be like this. And um, that was $7,000 worth of inventory oh. for the minimums that they, you know, for the minimums that they wanted, I should have been ordering, I think it was like 21,000 worth okay. of inventory. Yeah. And I was, I mean, it was insane. You know, it was, I mean, at that moment, even I was thinking like, I don't know how I'm going to come up with this money. And like, especially for this quality, um, so yeah, I think they kind of just didn't even want to deal with trying to make it better. Um, and yeah, we both kind of just washed our hands of each other, which is, you know, fine, totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it happens, you know, but I was, I was left with like, I don't even know how many, I think it was like 300 pieces, 350 pieces. Yeah. So it was just awful and trying to figure out how to sell it now, you know, and um, I did it. <laughs> you did it. How did you do it? I did it. Like what? I mean, <laughs> I well, I got it in July, and I just gave a lot of disclaimers, you know, because I I was in it for the long haul. I was like, oh, I had listened, I'd done all my research. And I had seen that, you know, I remember Liz actually telling me, like, most designers. Liz, by the way, um, if you ever want to find her, it's Niche Design. That's it. She was amazing research. I feel like I should throw that out there. Yeah, let's but, definitely um, give her a plug. What is it called? Yeah, it's called Niche Design. Um, but, like, yeah, she does, like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, she does consulting for tons of people. Um, she actually lives in Savannah now, but she's in oh. L.A. Okay, we'll, so, put, um, we'll put a link to her in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's Liz Corsidal, uh, okay. K-O-R-S-E. Yeah, okay, Perfect. cool. Yeah. Um, sorry, I forgot where we were. Yeah, uh, so you had all this inventory, these 350 bags, and you're like, I got to sell it, and you just did disclaimers and discounts, and you got rid of it. Yeah, I, was, I mean, oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, so, yeah, Liz has told me, you know, most designers, they don't really start seeing a turnaround and profits until, like, year three, year four. Yeah. They're like, don't don't expect profits until year three or four. So I had been expecting that. Okay. And I was like, okay, this is, this is part of like what's happening. And I mean, I was dedicated in the sense that like, I want my brand to be something that, you know, people enjoy. Like when I say my brand, I want people to, you know, think like, oh, that, that represents quality, not what I currently had in, in, in stock at that moment. Yeah. 
So, um, so, yeah, so I just gave a bunch of disclaimers. I just told people, like, I'm really sorry. This is wrong with this one. This is wrong with this one. <laughs> you know, this is what might have you might have issues with here. I'm very honest with people, and, and people were cool, you know. I think also um, I was super determined. I, like, I realized, like, okay, this is a sink or swim moment. Am I going to sink or am I going to swim? You know, you're going to have so many hurdles like this. And I'm a swimmer, you know, I'm going to swim through this. Like, I've got this. Um, so and were you doing yeah, most are, of those sales, um, like vending at festivals, like in person, direct to your consumer? I actually, because um, I, you know, a lot of my customers, they go to Burning Man. So I'm, you know, kind of part of like the Burning Man underground scene in, yeah. in LA. So um, there's a lot of night events that happen. And I, I remember I got into like a regular one. Every Wednesday, I was at this place in Santa Monica selling stuff from like 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Wow. And then every, yeah, and then every Saturday, oh my gosh, this one's worse. I was at an all night party from like 9 p.m. to 8 a.m. Oh my God. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you're yeah, like, you show you know. up and you like set up your table and you set up all yeah. your stuff and you like yeah. hang out all night and sell. And by like 2 a.m., everyone's drunk, you know? Just yeah. like dealing with drunk people is always interesting. Yeah, um, yeah which can be good sometimes and, and can be bad as well. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, you know? I was doing all of that and I was realizing like this isn't paying my bills. Oh. Um, so I started, uh, I got on TaskRabbit and I was like, I actually was like in the top 10 task rabbits for LA. <laughs> oh my God. I hope you have like a trophy or something for that. I can like picture it. I, I got to like the top 10 of tasks. I felt very proud of that. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. Oh my goodness. I was like moving people's furniture, packing up people's houses, oh cleaning God. houses. I was, and it's so funny to have like this degree from this fancy school, you know, and to be like cleaning houses all of a sudden. But, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, I don't have any shame in that. I'm, I'm very happy for that, you know, because it's, it's nice to have like a mindless job that's giving me money. And then, you know, when I come home and I work on the business, I'm, I'm still focused mentally. You know, okay. I'm not exhausted mentally I can still do all I might be exhausted physically but like mentally I'm still there you okay. know and and so then that task yeah, I can, money was like funding everything you were building it it was yeah I mean it was like task rabbit just different odd jobs you know I think I I started working for a tv producer at that time doing assistant work for her um and yeah just different stuff like that okay. um yeah, different stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I was just doing side jobs for the longest time. Um, yeah. And so, okay, so you were doing like all these like super all-nighters, which is crazy, um, selling the product. And then you started mentioning earlier, I think this is where Magic, the, the big trade show that happens in Las Vegas, um, this that happened soon, Yeah. Um, yeah, so magic happens in August and February, and um, so that's a great place to, like, you know, uh, exhibit your brand if you want to, but they also have the sourcing section, and then the sourcing section, there's factories from all over the world that come there, um, and, you know, I was very determined. I took some of the products that I had from the India collection, and I found um, Roger. He's from Indonesia, and I was just going around trying to find anyone that makes leather stuff. And I found Roger and he showed me some of the quality on his stuff. And, 
he was like, why don't you give me this sample and I'll send you a sample back. He's like, it's going to be a lot more expensive than India, but it's going to be better quality. I'm like, okay, you know, we'll see. Um, and I remember getting that first sample from Roger and it was like, wow, he, lamb leather, good hardware. It's like, oh, I, it was just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing. You know, like this I can sell. Like, <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was, it was really so exciting to find him. Um, and then me and Roger's thing too, he doesn't um, ask me for any minimums, which is amazing. That's um, insane. Because I'm, yeah, there's no minimums with him. And the reason why is because I'm using the dead stock leathers, like whatever his bigger clients oh. don't use. Okay, the left, so, you're using just all the sort of leftovers. Yeah, so everything is like limited edition, um, limited quantities because of that, which was really good for me because I was getting in so many different colors, you know, and I would get in like, like right now I have like metallic purple and metallic and like gold. So yeah. I've got like a, a black crocodile embossed piece, um, just all these different things. Yeah. And it was it was really good for me to be able to test the market and see like, okay, these are colors that people are responding to. These are leathers people are responding to. This, never order again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what were you like getting, that? like, literally or, one of each or a couple? Um, uh, in the beginning, I was trying to be easier on him, so I would get, like, five, six, seven of, okay. of one piece and one style, gotcha. and then I just realized, like, oh, that's how you get, you know, stuck with – these horrible leathers All that you're going to be you selling like within two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, goodness. That's, that's still there two years later. Whereas, like, <laughs> so now, like, um, whenever there's a new leather, uh, you know, because also because we're doing this and it's such limited quantities, I'm normally seeing pictures of the leather on, on via email. Okay. Um, and so it's going to look completely different via email than it's going to look in person. Yeah. So, yeah, I just get, like, one piece. Um, if he can, he sends me swatches, you know, but... Um, a lot of times working off photos. So with that in mind, it's like, okay, I don't want to get stuck with, you know, 20 of these or right, whatever. Right, right. And it's, it's, yeah, it's not that pretty. So, wow. Yeah. So, um, I, that's crazy. I mean, I realize it's, it's, it sounds like it's actually worked out to be a good win-win because he's getting rid of these leftover, you know, the dead stock and you're getting to mm -hmm. do these like tiny, I mean, literally no minimums. One, this is a real sample run. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and it's, it's technically recycled leather. I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on that, yeah, you know, sure. connotation with it. But, um, but yeah, it's it's been really good for me. But it also the the hind, the problem that comes with it is like um, all these pieces are one of a kind. So putting things on the website, I'm taking pictures of That's everything of individually. Yeah. And then I still do vending at different places. So I sell it on Saturday, and it's like okay, new things. You know, so many different photos and keeping up to date with the website. Um, also for wholesale, it becomes an issue because, uh, you know, someone will see a picture or something like, um, oh, I have this girl that like, she was uh, wearing one of my pieces at Coachella last year and somehow she got in like, she was like Instagrammed by Coachella like two, three times within the Coachella week. Yeah. And all of a sudden I got like seven orders for that one what? piece. That's like, amazing. <laughs> but then like, yeah, were you able to actually do it? No, because it was a one of a kind. Oh so it's like, you know, oh, we have this other one, you know, what do you think about this? Or something. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a lot of them ended up buying something else. Okay. But, um, but it, yeah, it becomes a problem, you yeah. know, so, yeah. It's a balance. Um, yeah, it's not, 
not the worst problem to have too, though, because everything's limited edition. And there's there's a certain, you know, a lot of people that don't, I think especially my audience festival goers, they don't all want to look the same. Everyone wants to be different. Yeah. So it is, you know, it's a chance for everyone to be a little bit different. And like, there's some pieces I get where it's, it's just the weirdest leather ever. Like I had this one where I was calling it woolly mammoth. It was like this furry brown leather. <laughs> it was so weird. Um, but, you know, I was like, it's meant for someone. And like, I think like two years later, I finally found that person it was meant for. Was like, oh, that one okay. took a and they while, were, they but were, then they loved it. Yeah, they were stoked. You know, yeah. they were happy when it came. Yeah. So, so okay, just yeah. to get a little perspective on this, um, I know you said the first ones that you got done in <clears throat> India, you were, uh, or I'm sorry, the first batch you got done in China, the, the air quote sample run you did of 90 pieces, I think you said you sold them for like 65 or something. Uh-huh. About right, and then the, in yeah. the India ones, you know, the, that was kind of their own, their its own beast to deal with. And then, what are you now like? Where are you at price point wise with with your current product? Well, now I I work with this factory in India as well, and so we make a bunch of stuff in fabric and recycled rubber. Okay. Um. So yeah. So at the low end, it goes from forty five to two twenty. Um, and everything that I make in the fabric recycled rubber is about like 45 to 139. And then the leather stuff will be 60 to 220. Okay. So. Gotcha. That's in some of that, yeah. or most of the leather stuff is coming out of Indonesia with Roger. Is that right? Yes, I did. I did try a different factory in India. Um, and it was like good, but there were certain issues, you know, it was like, okay, on this style, this has a hardware issue or this, yeah. I don't know why it's like the first time dealing with the factory, they always want to use cheap buttons for some reason. It's, <laughs> and it's, it's like, you know, just pay $20 more and like, it'll actually work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had that issue a couple of times now, but yeah. um, yeah, they, yeah. So, okay. Um, so definitely, yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, nothing, nothing. Go on. Okay. Um, so I was just going to say definitely a shift in sort of the pricing in terms of um, where you've kind of positioned yourself now. But you still have some of those, you know, lower level price points, as you said, with the fabric and the rubber. Um, uh-huh. So you kind of have continued doing all the festival vending, but there was a moment, and again, I know this just from reading your write-up on your website, which um, we will definitely link to in the show notes because it's it's very well written and there's some fun parts of the story I don't know we'll be able to get to in this interview. Um, but okay. you did, you started to do some trade shows. Um, what What was that like and why did you think that was a good direction to go from the festival vending? Um, I just, I wanted to take it bigger. Um, and like finding Roger was amazing because I, you know, I didn't want to do any trade shows until I realized that my quality was on point. Mm-hmm. And so after Roger, it was on point. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for this. I applied to E&K accessories in New York and I didn't even really think I was going to get in, but I did. Yeah. And, um, this might be too much information, but like I was, uh, I was like, trimming weed on a mountain in like Northern California. <laughs> One of my side jobs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've been working on this mountain for like two months and I got this email saying that I got into EMK. Oh, wow. And I, I left the mountain that same day with like all my cash in hand and oh, like, and I put all my cash into that trade show. I was just and like, I'm doing it. <laughs> when is this? When is this in the timeline? Cause you started in 2011 and where are we at now? Ooh, um, Ian Cat Accessories, I think this was probably about 
two, three years into my business. Okay. Uh, so I'd say probably about 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Okay. Trying, but, just trying to get um, a rough sort of gauge. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I found out about that, I think, mid, mid-December, beginning of December. And the trade show was the first week of January. So it was like, oh okay. Like, yeah, it was like. I had been doing, like, mountain life for, like, two months, you know, and, like, living in a tent. And, like, it's like, okay, I'm, like, you know, get back to the city and, like, um, yeah, and I just started, like, going into hustle mode and, like, making all these marketing materials and doing everything and telling Roger, like, I need these samples, you know, I need this, I need this, and this. And, um, yeah, we ended up getting it done. I got my flight over there. I think, honestly, it ended up costing me about seven grand for everything. Yeah. And at that moment, I was just... No, they're not cheap at all. At that moment, though, I was just like, okay, you know, I already spent this much money. Like, might as well spend an extra couple hundred for this or a couple hundred for that. Kind of felt like like getting married or something, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, just add that on. <laughs> like, oh, why not? You know, let's get that too. Um, but yeah, so then I get over there. The first day, I wrote like seven grand in orders, and oh it my felt God. like, yeah, it felt great. Wow. You know, it was. It was so crazy, too, because yeah. I, I had just worked on these new styles with Roger, and they, they came to New York. I, I think I got them, like, the night before the trade show, or, like, <laughs> yeah. or like I think I actually, yeah, I didn't even have prices for them yet. Like, I didn't even know how much they cost. <laughs> oh, my God. And were you yeah. using, this time, did you decide with Roger to use, like, available stock that you could get more of? Um, well, I just, I just made those ones in black and, um, this was a tricky thing for me with trade shows, especially in like wholesale customers. It's like, how do you tell them, you know, like they want to see, um, in your catalogs, for example, they want to see like, like three, four different colorways for things. And for me, I was like, well, you know, here's 100 different colorways. Like, (laughs) but that's too many, that's too many options, you know, like that's not what people want to see. So um, I would just show people stuff in black, and then I also had a variety of colors with me. And so it's like, yeah, we can do this and that, and we can do this and that. Okay. Um, I was I was really kind of winging it. Um, <laughs> I remember shop. Yeah, I was I was winging it. Like um, shop bop came by, what? and like they, yeah, they checked out my stuff and they placed an order, and that was that was really exciting. Um, Oh my goodness! I remember that trade show. I was three people was my dream. I really wanted three people, and like I, I was the only one working, you know. So I just been there all day. It was like towards the end of the day, and I'm like, I really have to go to the bathroom. Like, but I, you know, what if three people come? Of course, like when I'm in the bathroom, three people come by, and I'm not no there. Oh, uh, yeah, it was so like you know. But um, but I got shop off, and that was really exciting. Um, it was very interesting to deal with, like, a national wholesale account or, you know, something on a bigger end like that. Um, they give you, like, this, I don't know, it's like a 50-page manual. Of, like, this is how you ship to us, you know, and that was intense to figure out. Yeah, they have, like, out. requirements and everything. Like, it's like you have to operate on their terms. Oh yeah, it's it's really intense. You know, I actually remember taking out my notebook and like taking notes on the manual. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh okay, my God. do it like this. Yeah, because they'll find you too if you yeah. ship it wrong. Right, or, or like charge they you back. You. They just reject it altogether. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of crazy, but um, yeah, and it sold out right away with them. Like oh, the, everything that they ordered. 
So they placed a new order right away. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, it's like finally happening. Um, yeah, and it, so it was good at that point, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not the best at, like, keeping in touch. I feel like I'm technically challenged. And, like, uh, I think, you know, as the years go by, it's so important to be, you know, technically advanced, like, to, to know your um, how to do the email blasts and everything like this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not my strong suit. So, um, yeah, and they got a new buyer, too. But, uh, but, yeah, it was exciting for a bit. So. And so, um, so fulfillment and everything worked out good, like running that process through Roger. I mean, obviously you've been working with him, I think for about five years now. So that went smoothly and like the transition from, well, maybe not transition, but like addition of doing just the festival vending to the wholesale stuff was good. Um, but you said you realized it was, you weren't super technically advanced with keeping in touch. So what do you mean by that? And like, how did that affect things? Um, well, like, I never really wanted to feel like I was hassling people, you know, and it's like, and I mean, now, like, I have a friend that's a, a handbag rep, and she's like, you need to just keep calling them, just keep calling, keep calling, keep calling, and I, I was doing that, but I just felt like I'm hassling them, you know, like, they don't want to buy anything, and like, so it's like, okay, you know, at what point do you just kind of give up on those contacts, um, and like, so it's, you know, I keep on emailing them after like two months and they that, but at a certain point I, I sort of fall off of it. Um, another problem that I have with wholesale too is that the price points, um, that's one thing, like really big recommendations. Don't go to a trade show if you don't have your price points in <laughs> order yet. Um, yeah. And that was like something that definitely hit me uh, because the, yeah, I think my price points are too expensive. Like in person, I would be selling something for $150, $200, but online it shows that it's selling for $300 because that's how much money I needed to sell it for to get a profit from wholesale. Right, and so you can't um, sell it cheaper than them on the site, on your site. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, that was my wholesale problem, not the technical thing. But, um, okay. yeah, sorry, I'm just remembering right now. Um, but, yeah, that was my issue, actually, with the wholesale prices. You know, like, people will get, you know, your wholesalers, they'll find out. Like, if you yeah. are selling something, you know, online, you're selling a different price in person. Like, they're going to find out eventually, you know, yeah. and they're, they're going to be a little upset. Um, so did they? But, yeah, that was um, – I never had anyone get upset, like – I was always like, I would always sell things like only in person, but it ended up hurting me, I think, with online sales um, because I was selling everything online for these ridiculous prices that I didn't expect anyone to ever buy anything for. So it was kind of like, what's the point of having an online website right. that's like, you know, you're not. Yeah, like it's it's taken me time, you know, like I, I've, yeah, I've created new designs now and like I'm much more price conscious when I'm designing now. Like I realized like, okay, is, you know, do they want the fancy zipper? Like, is this detailing something that my customers are really wanting to pay for? And I, I think in the beginning as a designer, you're just like, oh, I'm going to make it like this, you know, and, you, and it's going to be amazing. And you don't really have a thought about the price that's going into it. And then later on, it's like, oh, that costs $70 to manufacture. Like, is anyone going to want to pay $300 right. to, to buy that? Probably not, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Getting stuff like that more in order and like um, 
yeah, just designing better for with cost in mind. I think that's kind of what's helped me out. Um, and now I'm at a point where like I can pursue wholesale stronger, but it also becomes this issue that um, if I can sell it myself, it's much better, you know. And like if I can sell it myself or I can sell it online, it's much better than selling at wholesale. I'd I'd rather do that. And um, yeah, like my my in person sales have been up, so it's. I know I'm a little bit less motivated for wholesale at the moment. Okay, That's gotcha. Kind of where I'm at right now. And, yeah. And so um, I know there's some other stuff I want to get to with um, the showroom and stuff, but we'll get to that in a second. I'm I'm curious though. So you say that you, for you selling in person is much better. I imagine that's um, price point wide, like your profit margin, but it's also more work. I mean. Uh, arguably. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? And like, you know, are you still doing all the festival vending and like, you know, doing pulling these all nighters? And I mean, cause that is definitely, that's a lot of energy out from your, from your side. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I mean, I, um, I took a break from it for a while, like where I wasn't doing much stuff in the city. I was only doing festivals, you know, and then, um, I was concentrating on wholesale more. And like, and hopefully it can be okay for me, but it's not that great of a turnaround. Um, and now I'm, I've been doing these city ones, and it's been financially pretty good actually to do vending at these different city things. Um, yeah, actually it's been it's been pretty good for me. Like that's, you know, and one thing too, even if it's a bad event, you you meet good people there. It's it's you know you never know who you might meet at one of those things, but says like oh this friend of mine wants like all of this or I know you know this celebrity or something like that um so there are there are trade-offs and benefits to it another thing that I love about vending is that I get to see what customers are really liking um I get to you know I get to see what they're more interested in I mean I do realize though like I'm getting older and like do I want to be the person that's doing this when they're 60 maybe not you know so how do I transition to making this something where I'm not working as hard? Um, and I think the key to that is just like going online more and making it more of an online business. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not crazy technically savvy, um, but I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great I, site you know, and your pictures look awesome. I mean, thank it's, you. it's out there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's been like this, thing over the years like I'm finally I got a Shopify site now I got um Hoots I discovered Hootsuite this year which is exciting yeah so like Hootsuite you can schedule out your social media so it's been cool yeah um yeah I'm trying you know I I found this company that they said they'll do Google AdWords so I'm I'm gonna be trying that out soon and Ah. I'm excited to see how that goes you know like I think sales can increase a lot with that but um I, I feel like it's kind of just like this you know, testing, like, I just, I always test, and if it, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but, like, I'm always open to trying something new, like, um, yeah, every year, I kind of, I spend a little bit of extra money on one new thing that's going to be, like, okay, this is what I'm experimenting with this year, but it does, it's, it's an experiment in a lot of ways, so, yeah. And, and so this year, that'll be Google AdWords, and that'll be interesting to see how that goes, um, and so, is, are you running the business full time right now? I am. I you am. Oh, that's like, amazing. Yeah. 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 No, no one really realizes this, but like for the first um, five years of running this business, like I put 
anything and everything that I, I made, I put back into the business. So I didn't really live anywhere. Like I was staying on like friends' couches and I was, you know, at my mom's house. I was just, yeah, yeah, I was like, you know, in between all these different places. They're kind of like living out of the car. But yeah, I've had my own apartment for like three years now. And like, it's been like my full-time thing. I haven't taken a a side job in like the last two years. That's amazing. Which is kind of, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what it takes to get there. Stuff out. Years. Ugh. I know, I know. Yeah. It's so much work. Oh yeah. my goodness. It's it's still kind of crazy too when I think about it. Like I think I probably made more money when I first graduated from college <laughs> than I do now. Yeah. I mean, which is so insane, you know, and, and it does I mean it's a little damaging to the ego sometimes to like realize, you know, see all these people around you that are like buying houses and getting married and having kids and it's like I have a room with belts. That's that's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um but you know, it's like you just keep on doing it. Like I yeah, I'm an artist so it's, yeah, and you it's love exciting it. to yeah. Yeah, I do. You know, like I like making making stuff and seeing customers, in, you know, reactions to new things. And that's that's fun. Yeah, um, and you didn't get into it to like make it rich. You did, got into it because you loved it, and now you have made it a full time job, and that's amazing. And um, I mean, you sound very happy about the arrangement. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm happy with it. You know, and it's it's actually, I mean, it's kind of cool because like the belts, like it does sort of run itself and on its own, like, to a certain degree. I mean, I'm always trying to, like, work harder to push it more online or social media or whatever. But um, I do have a lot of time to be an artist right now. You know, I've been working on um, sewing and different clothing stuff. Like, I'd love to do a clothing line at some point. So, you know, I, I do have a lot of free time during the week to do stuff like that, which That's is amazing. which is kind of nice. Yeah. yeah, I have more time to, like, be an artist now, which is, which is good, you know. But it's... Um, I'm a workaholic too, so I kind of feel <laughs> Me like too. It, oh my god, it, I totally <laughs> sympathize. <laughs> yeah, to like it. it sort of works. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, I don't really know what I would do otherwise. Yeah, know? right. Like, like I, I like working, so yeah. it's, you know, it's cool. It but, works. Yeah. Um, well, this yeah, that's amazing, and I'm so um, you know, huge congratulations that you know you got like those first years are tough, man, and you just. Oh, yeah got through it like through sheer determination and learning and falling down a lot and figuring out the ropes um I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um and again I know this because I read it on the the story you the the story of your brand that you sent me the link to on the site that I keep referencing um you Uh um after the trade shows you you know we talked about earlier that it was very challenging for you to sort of manage some of the wholesale accounts and keeping in touch and so um, you decided to go with a showroom, uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit about what happened with that and what your experience was like, because I know that's a really big question with a lot of listeners. Should I go with the showroom? You know, is this a good idea? Um, cause it can sound like a really magical plug and play answer to oh, all yeah. your problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So for me, it was, um, it, it made me hate my business for like a year, oh. actually. It was... <laughs> It was, you know, I was so determined, but like there was a good year there where I was just kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. I'm kind of tired of it now. Um, but yeah, so anyways, okay, the showroom, I, you know, I went around downtown LA and like I got all these business cards. I emailed them all because I, I felt like, okay, I want to be in a showroom. Um, and uh, I got accepted by the one that was actually my first choice. Um, they were like heavily an accessory showroom. So it seemed like a great place for me. 
um, and they wanted, I think it was like five, 600 a month that I'm paying for the belts to be there. This is, again, I don't even have an apartment at this time. <laughs> <laughs> my belts have an apartment and I don't. Oh my God. Like, yeah, this is so crazy. But so I'm paying for, you know, the belts to have place in there, five, $600. And um, when I signed on, they told me everything that they wanted me to change about my business in order to make it something that they were going to be able to sell. Um, the biggest change being that I had to change the name of my company. Um, at the time, it was called Bohemian Hips. And um, I, so I had like a month and a half to um, rebrand my company, create a new website, create you know marketing materials that they liked. Like they didn't like some of my model choices. Um, what else did they not like? Uh, they wanted me to expand on my product line because at that time I just had belt bags. They wanted me to make stuff that was for a more mainstream audience. Do some necklaces, do some like belts with no pockets. Um, what else? They, just, they made me, um, it was like 10 new styles that I had to come up with in a month. How did you um, feel about and- them like just coming in and saying, I mean, it almost feels like they're telling you to create a whole different business. I mean, changing your to name. To not be you. Yeah. How yeah. did you feel yeah. in those six weeks, like, going through all that process with them? You know, I was honestly at a point where I'm, like, I'm tired of the festivals. I don't really want to be doing this anymore. Because, oh, my goodness, I was doing, like, 13 festivals a year at that oh point. God. It was and then all of the vending in the city. I was, it was insane. You know, I'm, like, I'm exhausted. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, I, there's got to be a better way. Maybe a showroom is it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I kind of just, sorry, what was your question? I was I, just like, <laughs> I wanted to know, like, how you felt going through this. And it sounds like you oh, were just okay. like, I, I was so sick of the vending. I was like, well, whatever. Yeah, I was like, you know, okay, maybe this is what I need to do to, to make it happen, you know? Like, I mean, if changing this aspect, changing this, if, if it actually leads to the sales that they're talking about, I'm down, you know, like, oh, let's, so they were let's like do it all. telling you some numbers. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if it actually leads to these kind of sales or I, I think, um, I, also I had a friend that was, uh, my friend's sister was with that showroom and she had told me like, Oh, they like changed her world. You know, it was great for her. So I was like, all right, okay. you know, kind of going off of that. Yeah. I'm like, all right, let's, let's try this out. But, um, I mean the amount of like I had a month and a half to do all this, like, all of this work, rebranding, new collection, and like, and to get photos of that new collection. And they wanted everything in three, four different styles. They wanted everything in like two, three different hardware ways too, which is like, like this is, you know, already just doing those samples of like seven, eight different styles in three, four different colorways. I think that was like a $5,000 experience oh, in God. itself. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just insane. Um, but yeah, I went over to India and like I got an Airbnb in India and was like just like working around the clock on this like collection. And, um, I got I changed the name to Wild June and June was yeah anyway changed the name Wild June. Um, I get back to the states and I gave them everything and um, I think they gave me like nine hundred dollars in orders. It's just like oh <laughs> what I was. I was so frustrated um yeah you know I think the hardest thing about all the changes that they wanted to make in the company was changing the name uh because I as a small business owner you know that the name it's um 
it becomes part of your identity. You know, it was like, I do all these shows vending and like people know me as the belt girl, you know, like they know me as the belt, but when they hear Bohemian Hips, that's me. It's, it's a part of me. And so to change the name of the company, I felt like I don't even really know who I am right now. You know? Yeah. It kind of put me, it was really weird. I didn't expect it to have that effect on me, but um, yeah, I kind of felt like this sort of identity crisis. It's like, like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't identify with my company anymore. Like, it's like, I mean, your company is your baby. And it's like, my baby just got like a a whole makeover. And like, who (laughs) is this? It's like the changeling, like that movie. (laughs) This isn't my baby. (laughs) So So how long did you even like work with them? I mean, you said you got this $900 order. Okay, six months. And like, did it get yeah, they got me into some hotels um, outside of Coachella. The, the the head lady at that um, showroom wasn't my favorite person either. <laughs> like she was, she was pretty, you know, mean. And oh goodness, I remember um, I was in India working on all this, and Free People finally contacts me and says, like, "Hey, we're interested in your stuff. Can you send us some samples?" And, like, this was my dream account that, like, I had been working on forever. You know, it's like, I've been designing stuff for free people in mind. Um, and, you know, I get this email, and I'm signed on with the showroom. So all I can do is pass this email to them. Uh, and it was so hard. And, like, they found me as Bohemian Hips, you know? Like, they didn't care about my brand name. And I, I was, um, yeah, it was a little bit hard. I never heard what happened with it, and no orders came from it. Uh, it was uh, it was just all these small things like that where it's just like, oh, God, you know, like very annoying. Um, but, you know, okay, positive, positive thing, though. I learned so much from the experience. I I learned, like, um, how to make myself more marketable, how to, you know, I, I really did learn a lot. I learned about my pricing points so much more. I, I learned what buyers are looking for, Um which was which was huge. I still don't feel like I've utilized all of that knowledge to like the best of my ways. Um, I don't know. It takes so much time to really actively pursue wholesale. It does. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I keep on. It's like on my list. I don't know why I have this like fear of doing it or something. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, I learned so much, uh, which was which was good. But. In hindsight, I, I don't think I was ready for that experience yet. Like, I wish they had told me everything and given me time to get my business to their standards of where they wanted it to be. Um, oh, another challenge with them, they wanted me to create a spring-summer collection, a resort collection, fall-winter, and then some holiday offerings mm-hmm. as well. Um, normally, I create, like, two or three new styles a year, which for me and then I sell the same collection year after year in different colors and different, you know, materials and, and it works for me, you know, but, um, yeah, they wanted to see a completely new collection coming out, um, for the orders I was getting for them just did not make sense at all. So, um, yeah, I, it, I felt like a, a bit of an abusive relationship almost. <laughs> I was very happy to, to leave. I was very happy to leave. Yeah. But um, but I learned a lot, so I, I guess that is the 
the silver lining of the situation. But, yeah, so yeah. you said what you, you said, I think there was three kind of key things you said you learned. You learned more about like sort of marketing yourself, um, price points, and dealing with wholesale. I'm curious if there's any sort of like big takeaways from each of those that you could share with people out there listening so, you know, they can maybe learn from that experience as well. Can you think of anything specific? Yeah, I learned like um, one of their biggest uh, critiques of my company at that time was that I didn't have clear, concise collections. Um, so that was like, as a designer, it was something I learned like, okay, this is my fringe collection. This is my chain. These are like, you know, having common design elements that are going throughout. That was something that really had never crossed my mind before. I was always just creating like, oh, this is really cool. And this is really cool in a completely different way. Oh. Um, yeah. So kind of carrying some design elements through, and that was, yeah, I mean, I never went to fashion school, so sure. this was, you know, was not stuff that I knew. Um, yeah, I think that was probably my biggest one. Also, how to, like, word things. Like, I I have a, a fringe, fanny pack kind of belt that um, I call it Topanga. They told me, call it Topanga fringe, you know, belt bag. Um, just rewording it into things so it's a little bit easier. Um uh, having a swatch card, you know, because I do have my million swatches. So picking out some that looks like a cohesive collection and giving actual swatch cards, um, that was that was very helpful. And, you know, if I ever do make it out to go pursue these wholesale accounts, I have my swatch cards actually handy yeah. already. Uh, things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it good. yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always like trial and error kind of thing. And, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I do think I, I learned a good amount from the experience. Um, I mean, that's all stuff too, where I, I keep thinking about creating a clothing collection and, you know, these are all things that I would take to that, you know, it's like, okay, get your, get your price points together. This is how you do a catalog, like, um, common design tech, you know, using common design, um, features throughout your collection, things like that. And Yeah. It helped me. Yeah. So many good lessons in there. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, that's really, really helpful for everyone listening. Um, mm. You have had quite the journey, and look at where you are now. It's amazing. You've, you've Thank done you. a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. And so right now you're um, continuing to do the festivals and the events. Like you said, some of the events more in the city. And these, I imagine, are like sort of artisan fairs with tents and vendors and stuff like that. Yeah, which, I mean, honestly, they've been really good to me. Like, back in the day, I'm, I'm seeing, like, a times five of the sales that I used to do. Wow, five um, times, you said. Yeah, like, oh, back amazing. when. I mean, so, it, like, now it doesn't it doesn't feel too bad. And also the fact that, like, you know, I'm working. I mean, this, is, this, this business is just me. So, like, the fact that I'm, like, working by myself at home, it, it's kind of nice to, like, get out there and do some vending and, like, yeah. see people. And, like, social life, right. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, even though it's, like, you know, it's, like, a, a fake social life, really. It's, like, you know. But it, it's, um, I actually kind of enjoy it now, which is funny. Like, I feel like I've spent a couple of years now trying to figure out how to get away from vending and, um, I, I like it more and more, honestly. Yeah. Like, I like I like selling stuff. It's, like, this interesting challenge. And um, 
And I, I feel like I know how perfectly how to like merchandise my booth now and different stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think like some of the biggest reasons are that you are now doing like five X the sales you were doing before? Um, much better quality, much better offerings. And, um, I know how to sell my product much better. Uh-huh. You know, it's, um, yeah, I know how to sell my product much better. I have been training people, um, cause there's a lot of times where like there's multiple events happening on one night in the city and it's like, oh, you know, if I, if I have this person do this one and stuff like that, like trying to get more people on board. Um, so it's not just me anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, um, uh, I, I think it's the quality, especially, but um, like different sales techniques, like uh, like if you can get someone to try it on, for example, they're forty percent more likely to buy it. Oh. Um, that's like, yeah, the minute someone walks by my booth, I kind of just like attack them with a belt. You know? <laughs> You're and like, just put it on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> try it on, try it on. Let's play dress up. You yeah. know, <laughs> I I have fun with it. Like, it's. It's a lot of fun, but it's like also styling people, you know, realizing like, um, I'm thinking about it when people walk by too, you normally only have one shot, um, where it's like, I kind of profile them a little bit and I, you know, I, I style them. I realize like with what they're wearing right now, what's going to look good on them. And I pick out that piece. And I mean, if you can make it look good with their current outfit and to the extent that they don't want to take it off, it's. It's like you know? yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, they're expensive pieces, too. So it's like, um, yeah, it's been a little bit better for me in that sense. Uh, I will say, though, you know, things are different from year to year, every year. Like, just because some event or festival was good for you last year doesn't mean it's going to be good this year. Mm. There's always changing factors. Or it could be, you know, three times better this year. It's like there's always... Um, different factors involved, I think. But, yeah, it's never you know. a guarantee. Yeah, it's never a guarantee. It's kind of like a, a toss-up. Yeah. So, the sales yeah. stuff, did you, like, just kind of figure it out on the fly, or did you read some books? Or I mean, you you threw out that statistic there. I was like, whoa, well, 40% more likely if you get them to try it on. How'd you learn all that um, stuff? <laughs> uh, so, okay, I've been doing it for years, obviously, but um, I had a uh, a friend who's been doing it for 10 years longer than me. Okay. And so I had one year where the festivals, I was basically, I don't know, I was kind of um, like a helper, but then I would set up my stuff in his booth as well. And he was amazing, like, when it comes to sales, you know, he's like, older gay man and just walking around, oh, honey, try this on, try this on, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of just, like, learned from him a little bit, like, oh, that's how you do it, you know? And, um, kind of, like, I don't know, just work that, work those angles and those selling techniques in his store a little bit. And be like, oh, honey, you're getting commission on that one if they <laughs> buy it, you know? <laughs> like, okay. Um, but, yeah, learning stuff like that. Uh, also, like, the flow within your booth and, like, how is um, – you know, like, what's the, if you're walking from the right, you see everything. Do you want to stop? If you're walking from the left, do you want to stop? Uh, stuff like that. Wow, like, you, you know, really think about there, all that stuff. Yeah, you have to. Oh, yeah. Like, also the colors, you know, like, I mean, I'm probably going to sell more black and brown, but, like, having these, like, bright pink or bright yellow or, like, metallic um, purple, I mean, these are the colors that bring people over, even though they're just going to buy black, maybe. Right. But, like, you know, it's um, having stuff like that, like making it more visually popping. Um, things like that, I guess, like reading customers too. 
Like, are they, um, is this the kind of customer that wants me to show them a bunch of stuff or they really want to be left alone? You know, it's like, like kind of reading people a little bit and, yeah, working off of their energy too. So That's amazing. Yeah. So many great um, tips and advice there. Thank you for kind of diving deep into that. I think it's, it's definitely, it's mm-hmm. like, this whole thing to kind of learn and one of the processes that you've figured out over the years. So, um, cheers to that. Um, thank you. Yeah. Well, it has been so much fun to chat with you, Kimberly. Um, I would love to know where can everybody find you and all your amazing designs online? Sure. It's a wildjune.com and then on Instagram it's wildjunedesigns. Awesome. All right. We'll link to both those in the show notes. And I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I thought about it a bunch and I'm like, I just keep coming up with the same thing. I, <laughs> I wish people, uh, I wish people realized how hard it is. Like, um, like one of my, uh, bane of existence questions that people ask me sometimes like oh so you just design it and other people make it and it's like <laughs> oh there's, there's so much more that goes into it you have no clue yeah. you know like I I wish people had a more of a concept of what all goes into it without yeah. you know a big spiel um especially like you know fast fashion like if you want to get away from it like this isn't you know made in target like this isn't this isn't walmart you know like yeah. <laughs> it costs money um yeah i guess i just really wish people like realize what goes into their clothes a bit more yeah so, i love yeah. that well it definitely shows with um the amount of work you've put into bohemian hips slash now wild june and all the stuff you've been through over the years that it does take a lot of hard work so i think everyone out there listening does appreciate um and thank you so much it's been so lovely to chat with you all right yeah you too thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Also, a big shout out to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing and makes the show possible, as well as a huge thank you to my right-hand SFD team member, Saya. She makes sure each episode gets published and delivered to you on time, so big thank you to her for that. And again, as always, thank you to you for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you out there. Um, As a quick reminder, I mentioned this earlier on in the show, but SFD is way more than a podcast. I've got tons of free resources and material and content out there to help you get ahead in your fashion career. Um, Head on over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. And I will send you my best free content on getting ahead in your fashion career. I would love to share that with you. As always, if you want to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes wherever you are listening. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast episode.